0: on this episode of in the rack podcast with this episode to talk about how you can know yourself better in 2022 through self-experimentation and that was more experimenting with our own health which kind of made us question a lot of things a lot of things that are out there that you know might have been talked about throughout the years that is like status quo right and um you know what you got to In The Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple house in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to Now, let's get into The Rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to 2020. 22, I believe it's only what a couple days into the new year now. Crazy, Uh, I know, I know. So, uh, welcome to another episode of In the Rack Podcast. I am your host Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist Nick. I would say there's probably no better place to start 2022 than in the rack. I mean, that seems like a pretty good place to start to me. And we did mention it in the last episode. Today we have a surprise. Mm. I called it the law of surprise. Nick didn't know what that was, but I, did. I explained it. I it's um it's that which you already have but do not know. And uh that surprises you, my friends. It's all about you today. And we're gonna be talking about how um, you know, we can start this new year with some new knowledge and, and we're gonna we're gonna title this episode New Year, New You, but it's new as in like a new thing, right? But new you as in like I once knew what. Something was, or whatever yeah. it may be, but K, K yeah, K N E W, not the N E W that that you are all expecting. So, New Year, New You. Uh, we're going to take time uh, with this episode to talk about how you can know yourself better in 2022, and uh, how we go about doing that is. Um, there's many things that Nick and I want to talk about, um, but I think one thing that Nick and I found over the last few years is. Um, We found ourselves through self-experimentation and that was more experimenting with our own health, which kind of made us question a lot of things, a lot of things that are out there that, you know, might've been talked about throughout the years that is like status quo, right? And, um, you know, we kind of questioned that and we questioned that not only with ourselves, but with research that we're going to talk about today. But, um, you know, I know Nick's going to go into a a lot of that because he's, you know, very knowledgeable about all that stuff, but, uh, we're going to talk about the choices that we made that go against the grain, if you will. Did mm. you get that, Nick? Mm, I oh, got that. You like that, right? I, I get it. I don't know if many <laughs> of the listeners get it, but I get <laughs> it. We're going to talk about it, though. So grain as in, like, crop. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yes, we're going to talk about that today. So um, with all of the research and accessibility nowadays, you know, we have the ability to question the status quo. You know, status quo, like, cholesterol is bad. Saturated fat is bad. Coffee stunts your growth. Tryptophan makes you tired. You man. know, uh, <laughs> I'm sure Nick and I could talk about this for hours in terms of all of the other myths and the status quo that are out there that are you know slowly being busted, but um, still kind of carries a lot of weight in the medical community, which shouldn't be the case. So, um, Nick, I know you're chomping at the bit, man. Why don't you uh, not you get it, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, so
1: I think it's important to start off that yes, it's the new year. Everyone's got these resolutions. And your resolutions are are just, you know, it, it's again, that's part of what Chad was saying is the status quo. It's that that's a, the culture of created. Oh, it's a new year. Oh, we got to make all these changes, right? All these behavior changes. And these behavior changes are largely driven by cultural norms. And we live in a culture that conditions you to think and act in certain ways, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And it may not even be the best way for optimal health. So it requires us to be active uh, question question askers and uh, information seekers. But in this modern modern world, um, information is so readily available that we just tend to go with the first thing we see or first thing we read and uh, go with that that information, and it might not be the best. So you have to take your own health into your own hands and. You know participate in what what Chad was saying about self experimentation and self care and all these all these things where we kind of dive a little bit deeper and explore you know these avenues of health to find out what's best for ourselves right so it's it's much better to to learn than to be right you know but we are we are taught that um or i should say condition not necessarily taught that a lot of this information that's out there regarding our health is just. It's the right, it's the right and the only way, but that's not always the case. And a lot of what we're being told is actually backwards. Um, once you actually dive into it and, and try it yourself, you're like, oh, oh, I actually feel worse doing this, what they said I should do. <laughs> so, um, you know, this, this modern health system is really, you know, we've referred to as a, as a sick care system on podcasts before. And this, it, you know, it's based around our healthcare system right now is based around medicine and medicine is really just waiting for you to get a disease and then we treat it with this, this pharmaceutical and it's not actively partaking, participating in your health journey every day, which is really what we need to be doing. So as much as this, you know, the, the medical system can help, you know, and it can save your life in certain instances, uh, there's more to it. We need to, you know, partake in 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 our health process day in day out, and get try to try to strive for better every day. So you need to become your own health scientists. You know, be open minded, curious, all that kind of stuff. Carry out your own self experiments, and and figure out what works for you. Because um, the reality of it is, is is that our population has become more unhealthy in recent years, and that just tells us that we're clearly participating in lifestyles, behaviors, um, you know, environments that are precipitating the underlying issues, the, the underlying health issues. So you have to make changes to your environment. You have to make changes to your behavior, changes to your lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to give you some examples on that today. Um, before I talk about my first example, I just want you know, to to give a quote from James Clear from his book, Atomic Habits, which is a great book on on behavior change if anyone's interested. But it's, be the designer of your world and not merely the consumer of it. So you know, what we've been talking about so far is that, you know, the, the culture, culture will tell you one thing, but try to think the opposite and then make, make your own decision. So you need to design your own world and not just consume what is being thrown at us and, and, and taught to us. Cause the reality of it is, is that we hear all these things nowadays, like, oh, based on science, this is based on science, but science in essence is, is a, a way to question things, right. And to search for information based on this, this, uh, this curiosity but science has been manipulated nowadays by, you know, large organizations, corporations, things like that, to basically just um, validate or justify something that they want to validate or justify. So it has become more propaganda than actual true science. And us saying that could be misconstrued as propaganda in and of itself. <laughs> but what we're really telling you is go try things yourself, go self-experiment, and. By us telling you that it can't be misconstrued as propaganda because we're we're gonna give you examples that we have been through, but we want you to then go do it yourself don't just take our story and try to you know then just make that your own story or make that your life um you know go try it yourself you know and experiment and and see what works as long as it's safe don't don't be silly um don't just go crazy and and do something ridiculous um so do your own research, verify things for yourself and you know we've said it before in in with regard to you know d- a diagnosis that you've received from a healthcare provider um get multiple opinions. It's just the best thing you can do nowadays where where everything is unfortunately guided by by money and and medications and things like that so all right, on to our examples so number one, I'm gonna talk a little bit about um salt intake so just for backgrounds, when I was in college um I used to read nutrition labels pretty intently but i would mainly look at um the sodium content because i just thought that high sodium no matter what was a bad thing so i would put stuff back if it looked remote i didn't even know what a high sodium level was i just if it looked remotely high you know based on the percentage which are skewed anyway um i would just put it back so i would just like severely monitor my sodium intake my salt intake and I was a college athlete. I played basketball in college and I had high blood pressure at the time. And I was like, man, I already monitored my salt intake. The doctor's telling me I got to reduce my salt intake. What's going on? So it just didn't match. It, it, nothing nothing made sense to me. It didn't match up. A uh, doctor was telling me, you know, decrease my salt. I was like, I already decreased my salt. Like my salt's really low. Um, I don't add salt to anything. I don't get anything on the shelf that that has high sodium, all this kind of stuff. Um, so I started to, to dive more into it. And I, I I learned a ton about salt and sodium and I learned that it's just, it's way more complex than, than just, Oh, high sodium, you know, our high salt intake equals high blood pressure. So I learned about all these, all these nuances. And the first thing I learned about was how important, vastly important sodium is in the body. Um, And we can't produce our own sodium. So we need to get it from, from external sources, right? We need to get it from our food. So I was like, well, what the what the heck's going on with this? And you know, we have found that sodium's necessary for neurologic development and neurologic functions, so the function of your nerves. It's it's you know important for your immune system. It helps you with performing physically, which I was doing at the time. I was I was participating as a college athlete, so it's it's vital for energy. It helps with you know hormone balance, all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, man, this stuff's really important. I need this, but I just don't know how much to consume. So I also learned that if you have, um, you know, high sugar or carb intake and and notably sh- like, you know, the, the processed sugar, then that will trigger your body to retain more sodium in the kidneys, which will then drive, you know, increased vis- viscosity in your blood. So you can get high blood pressure from that. And at the time, I was my diet was mainly carbs. I was consuming so many carbs. And I probably did like to go to the dessert area of the dining hall a little too much. So I was consuming a lot of processed sugar as well. So I was very, very high, too high in my sugar intake. And if you think about sugar compared to sodium, um, sugar is important you know, for energy and things like that. But in terms of the list of functions that it has in the body, I would argue that sodium affects way way more. So if you were to compare salt versus sugar, which one's more important for the human body? I would now argue salt, right? You can get away with having no sugar. Yeah, if you're an athlete, if you're doing a lot of physical activity, you need a little bit probably, but you need a ton of salt if you are, you know, very very physically active. Much more than than the mainstream, you know, media or or doctors would tell you. So um you know, I made this huge change to, um, you know, and I had doctors wanting to put me on medication as a, you know, 22 year old. And I made this change to decrease my carbon intake, decrease my processed sugar intake. And I actually upped my uh, salt intake, but I upped it to, um, more quality sources. So unrefined salt, we talked about this on previous podcasts. So not the bright white salt, but salt that might be gray, beige, or pink in color. And my, not only did my blood pressure drop, but I felt more energized. I didn't yawn nearly as much throughout the day. I, you know, just felt better overall. I felt like I was digesting food better, all this kind of stuff. So I, you know, got to this point on my own and it took a lot of trial and error for me to find what worked for me, how much sodium our salt intake for me. And, you know, right now it's, we, we, we talked about this on the the salt podcast, but, um, you know, the, the, you would be told if, at your doctor's office that you shouldn't consume more than, you know, usually 2,500 milligrams of sodium per day. I'm probably upwards of 6,000 per day. So I'm, I'm just over double it. And I feel fantastic. Blood pressure is, is well within normal, you know, limits at this point. And before it was just continuing to, you know, gradually creep up and, you know, it would blow people's minds if you just said, oh yeah, no, I increased my salt intake, my blood pressure went down, but it was in conjunction with, you know, the decreasing sugar. So, there's, like I said before, there's much more nuance to it. It's not as simple as, oh, decrease your salt, decrease your blood pressure. Yeah, your blood pressure could go down if you decrease your salt, but you can also run into other problems. Uh, you can get sick a lot more because your immune system's down a little bit. You can have those digestion issues that I was talking about. You know, you will have a, a, you know, a lack of energy because you don't have enough sodium, which will, you know, create that electrolyte balance in the fluid in, in, in the body, right? So you're going to be down on electrolytes. So You know, it's super, super important. Um, Salt is also big for uh, people trying to lose weight because it can reduce your sugar cravings, which is fantastic because everyone's, you know, that's going to be a big uh, New Year's resolution for a lot of people. So it is super, super important to get that sodium. And there's a lot of people out there. I've heard doctors say this before that we've only been consuming salt for the last century. And that is just blasphemous. That is just flat out wrong. If you actually look at archaeological data, we have been consuming salt for... The better part that we know of right now, the last couple million years, so we've been consuming as a species animal products for at least the last two and a half million years, and when we consume you know animals uh, we have always consumed the blood. you can go look at any indigenous tribe anywhere in the world right now there's only a couple left a handful left, but they will consume the blood of the animals of that they that they hunt down and you know animal blood has about anywhere from like one to one and a half teaspoons of salt per liter of blood so they're consuming salt in high amounts and then we also have found that um these indigenous tribes will uh they'll track animals and follow them to salt flats and consume the natural mineral salt uh, that is out in the world so that is a lie that we've only been consuming salt for the last century. We've only been consuming table salt, so yeah, the bright right. white salt for right. the last century. <laughs> we've been consuming salt and sodium for millions of years. So don't fear it. And if you significantly restrict it, you can cause other problems, you know, other than just blood pressure. You can, you can wreak havoc on the body. So you need adequate salt. Yeah, we can't overdo anything. Yes, anything in excess can kill you, right? You can You can drown yourself by drinking too much water. But if you consume more salt than we are being told, you are likely going to be just fine. Yes.
0: And I think we do that anyways, but we're told not to. Yeah. So what else are yeah. we you know, deficient in as we're trying to yeah. cut that salt out? And there's this know? big push right now for you know, adequate
1: hydration. You got, you got all these methods out there. It's like, oh, you got to consume half your body weight in ounces of water, all this kind of stuff. And I would argue that the more we consume water without salt, But if we consume more water, but we restrict salt, you're just making it worse. If you're going to consume more water, you got to consume more salt, right? Like they go hand in hand. And there's even indications for especially athletes adding some salt to their water, either uh, pre-activity or during activity to help maintain the appropriate electrolyte balances. But if you're just consuming a ton of water, But restrict like significantly restricting salt, you are just causing more harm than good because you're just diluting everything. Right. So now you're just having to to go to the to, to pee a bunch to go to the bathroom a bunch. And you're you're flushing out all these important vitamins, minerals. So you're significantly depleting all the other mineral levels in your body. So it's it's not not a good good practice to just drink a lot of water but consume zero salt.
0: Yep. Not a good practice. Agreed. And I made that huge change too along with you. I mean, I put salt in my protein shake after I'm done working out. Yeah, me too. I put salt in all my food. Every single yeah. dish that you know, I have that today I'll I'll get salt. will have salt in it. Yeah. In addition to the salt I put in it when I was making it, I'll put salt on top of it when yeah. I'm done.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the cool thing about salt, if you add it to you, you know, your your meat
1: or any any dish is that um people can have, you know, allergic type reactions to other spices um i don't know of anybody who has an allergic type reaction to salt right because we need it so it's so important to the body but you can have an allergic reaction to pepper you know salt and pepper kind of go hand in hand um i don't really know where that came from (laughs) i don't know where that came from (laughs) but pepper comes from you know the uh the seeds of of a plant and and that can be very um you know irritable and, and toxic to to certain people's bodies so it's I don't know. I don't know where we got that, we'll, but
0: we'll uh, we'll probably have a podcast on plant toxicity at some point. I'm sure yeah, we will. We talk sure. about that all the time. We for should sure. definitely do it. It's it's a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. That's a, that's
1: another one. That's not one of our examples, but that's another one. It, you'll be told that oh, just eat more vegetables, you'll be fine. And I'm not saying you should not eat any vegetables, but there are more, some vegetables that are more you know toxic to the human body than others. And if we're just consuming only vegetables, so. It can be it can be harmful, more harm than good. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're like, oh, man, my New Year's resolution is to go vegan, don't do it. Don't do it.
0: Don't nope. do it. All right. So Nick had a good story on the salt. Um, I'm going to talk about my transition in terms of, of the diet that I've had over probably the last two years. But I would say over the last year, it's been more substantial than any, than ever. And um, so I was like your classic like bodybuilding diet: chicken and rice for years, chicken and rice for years. And um, I didn't feel bad on it, but I didn't feel great either. Um, but I'll tell you, there was about maybe a year and a half ago, I started this um, this keto diet, and I did it for one of two reasons. Number number one, I wanted to switch it up, <clears throat> and number two, um, if you guys have ever heard of Ryan Fisher. He, um, he's huge into like keto, but he's also into like, you know, uh, like carb loading and, you know, carb cycling and and all that fasting. So he's, he's kind of pushing all that, which is great. Uh, he had his competition out there and I was like, screw it. I'm just going to do it. And, uh, I did, I think it was like 60 days and, uh, I think I lost like 12 pounds. I was like, you know, you know, killing the body fat, but I was like, you know, I felt, I honestly will say that I, I felt probably the best I had felt um, in a long time from eating chicken and rice for all those years. Um, but it just wasn't to the point where I was like, man, this is sustainable. It just wasn't, you know, it was a great like kickstart, but it wasn't sustainable. Well, shortly after that, I got introduced to the vertical diet by Stan Everding. So I started doing that, which I felt a little bit better on. And, And a lot of the stuff there, if you haven't heard of, of his diet, it's, it's, um, like foods that are better digestible by the body. So he does like some white rice. He does, um, uh, a lot of ground beef, which is where I kind of got introduced more to the red meat side of it and got rid of the chicken. So I would say I felt even a little bit better there. And I was probably surviving on Monster Mash for the last, like, I don't know, for probably six months after that, which if you guys don't know what that is, it's it's literally like ground beef, white rice, carrots, obviously salt, and um, bone broth, which was actually pretty cool. And uh, the occasional egg, I would throw an occasional egg in there. So it was pretty good. And I did that for a better part of six months. I felt pretty good. Um, but then I was like, you know, I need another change. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to change it up a little bit more. And that's the next phase of my whole transition. I got introduced to this guy called Danny Vega, which um, is big into keto, but he does this whole carnivore keto thing. So that kind of got me into this whole like little uh, step into the carnivore world, you know, uh, which I was already eating tons of meat. But I was like, you know, this is definitely like next level stuff. So I um, did that for a little while. And then as I started kind of digging into that little rabbit hole, that's when, um, you know, Nick and I, we talk about him all the time, Paul Saladino, carnivore MD. And he came out with his carnivore code book, which is actually really good. I'm in the process of finishing it now. And, um, he's like completely carnivore based diet, but not only that, like he, he's got a lot of research to prove and to show why all that stuff is, is, um, you know, very beneficial for the body. And you know, on an evolutionary basis, like probably the stuff that we should be eating more of, and that we don't, thanks to the way that culture is nowadays, and and you know what some of these medical professions are telling us we should eat and shouldn't eat, right? So, um, for all of you the guys have that have not heard of Paul Saladino, his name, well, you can't find him on Instagram anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's been blocked. <laughs> he's been blocked. Um, Carnivore MD was his, and you'll still find him. Like he's still got he's easier, Carnivore
1: but, MD two point right yeah, now.
0: I think yeah. Uh, and um, he has like five different tiers and uh, of carnivore diet, and uh, like tier one is like carnivore ish. So you you do eat meats, but you're still throwing in the plants there. You're kind of like just getting into it. It's like the baby steps, all the way to like tier five, which is like nose to tail. You know, you're eating everything in between. Um, I would consider myself probably right around that four. I'm not quite the five. I don't eat raw liver. I don't eat raw like eggs and milk and and all that other stuff but i do like my dairy so i will still throw my dairy in there i don't eat like you know like the testicles and that's like that's like next level shit i'm not there i'm not (laughs) quite there i'm sure nick will be there before i will be there but um just kind of going into that uh i learned that man my body feels about a million times better and it's not even the fact that like cutting out carbs, it's the fact that, you know, my body's just sustaining way better on, you know, red meat as opposed to like chicken or rice or, you know, oatmeal, you know, all those classic, you know, lifting, you know, diets that, that everybody's, you know, heard of or done before. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's really the, the, the phases that I went through. And, um, you know, it, it, it really does question What we've been taught, you know, for example, like uh, the medical community will tell you that, you know, eating red meat can not only increase your risk of diabetes, right, but now you're gonna, you know, have coronary heart disease, you're gonna stroke out, you're gonna increase your risk for cancer, right? Um, and this is all stuff that, like Nick was saying, it was—it's all just status quo. Like that's what we've been told, you know. But the new research is coming out. We're becoming better advocates for health. We've got Google now, you know. We've yeah, got, uh, yeah. you know, PubMed where we can do our own research. So, um, and then you got people like Paul, where you know he gives you the information. All you got to do is like he gives you the article. He just summarizes it for you, you know, and he makes it makes sense. And na- the nice thing about Paul
1: Saladino is that he. He's, you can see over the past couple of years, we've both been following him for a while now and he's, he's changed his mind on some things, which is what you want to see in in a reputable source like that, because there's so many people out there that, you know, so many doctors that have just been saying the same thing since the seventies, eighties about salt, cholesterol, all these things that they were taught in school. So it's not their fault, but they haven't, they haven't continued to learn and continue to self-experiment and continue to you know, be an advocate for this, this space, um, because they haven't continued to, to dive deeper into it. You know, they just kind of stopped at the the first thing they were told first thing they were taught and they continue to tell people that and it's causing more harm than good. Cause there's
0: so many people out there that are being, being affected by it. Yeah. And I mean, this is a perfect example of like going against the grain and, and, you know, all of this stuff that we're talking about is now disputed it's disputed by current research, you know, yet the medical community still doesn't acknowledge it. Now, whether they're ignorant or it's like an ego thing, I don't know. I mean, it could be a combination or financially or financially political, you know, it's, it's all in between, you know. Um, but you know, like, for example, let's just, let's just dabble on the thought of cholesterol first, because I know Nick's talked about that in the past and he knows a little bit more about it than I do. But, um, you know, cholesterol is, you know, just a, a collection of all these what we call lipoproteins in our blood. You know, everybody's heard of HDL and LDL. You know, your, your HDL is your good, right? Your LDL is your bad, quote unquote, you know, and, and even that's changed in the recent years. So, I mean, not only is cholesterol a good thing, but LDL gets a bad rap as being a bad lipoprotein, you know, and it's been like that for years. And, and nobody's, nobody except for people like Paul, you know, that are standing up and, and letting people realize that that's not, that's not the case at all. You know, I mean, saying that it's, it's a big contributor to heart disease, you know, and, and this is the stuff that we should be questioning, you know, and you should be questioning this too, because whenever you're going to the doctor and you're getting your own lab values, you should be able to know what those mean. Like, don't just take somebody's word for it. that it's cool. Like you should be able to interpret those, you know, I mean, if, if you looked at a clogged artery, clogged artery, you're going to find cholesterol. That's just what it is, right? Yeah. But as a result of you know this medical community, they're going to tell us that you know heart disease is the number one killer because cholesterol's in there, you know. But yeah. they don't they don't break it down as to why that happens, right? Yeah. So of course we can blame cholesterol. It's an easy target, you know. So how do we combat this, right? So big pharma comes in, they make statins, right? Big pharma comes and makes statins, which reduces the amount of cholesterol that our body makes because I guess our body does make cholesterol too, right? um now we're we're interrupting our body's natural response, so cholesterol is essential, guys like if we don't have a we don't have cholesterol, we die yeah. it's just how it is, right? all your cell membranes yeah of cholesterol that's it that's how it works, right so you know, but cholesterol can also be obtained by the food, you know, saturated fats from animal fats in particular are converted to cholesterol, which is huge for us, right um they say that the brain hogs hogs twenty five percent of all of our body's cholesterol, right? So just think about that. Cholesterol serves not only as like, um, it it makes up our cell membranes like like Nick said, but it also creates these nice electrical impulses that we have that help us move, that give us sensation, you know, thinking, learning, anything that has to do with the brain, right? Um, That's why they've also found that low cholesterol, people that have low cholesterol, it actually increases their risk for brain problems. Brain problems being like, Dementia, depression, Parkinson's disease, yeah, go figure, are, right? Which are all on the rise. Which are all on the rise, go figure. Um, and, you know, the, the recent research actually shows that low cholesterol has been shown to increase the risk for peripheral neuropathy, which is pretty common for people with diabetes, which I'm going to talk about in a second because people with diabetes are just, you know, prone to a lot more things than everybody else because of insulin resistance, which is to blame for a lot of the diets that people are eating nowadays. Um, so I'm going to leave you this one. It um, should be no surprise that Big Pharma cautions against statins for the elderly. Weird how they say that. Take it, but don't take it, right? And they say, and they say because low cholesterol is known to be associated with high death rates for older people. That's that's pretty messed up. Now I don't know what the death rates are. I mean, could it be just because of like the state that they're in? Whether it's Parkinson's, whether it is dementia, and that? I don't know. But like, if you're young, we'll give it to you. Yeah, if you're yeah. young, you can yeah. take it. But if you get old, you can't take it, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> so cholesterol we've talked about hdl and ldl i know i touched on the ldl really really quick ldl is that bad cholesterol right um but why is it bad i don't know i don't know why it's bad it gets a bad rap right um but there's there's actually good evidence to show that um the the insulin resistance and inflammation for example um is is um considered to be as an effect of having high LDL in your body, right? Um, LDL, in a sense, they say in a sense gets this like molecular uh, Velcro, which actually sticks to your arteries, but they're not telling you why that is, right? Um, Yes, does it do that? Of course, it does that. Can it be bad? Yes, of course, it can be bad. But the evidence also shows that 88% of all Americans are metabolically <laughs> dysfunctional, right? Yeah. We have a metabolic dysfunction. And that makes the LDL more susceptible to sticking to our artery walls. Um, so uh, if the vast majority of people around us have insulin resistance, which is definitely going to happen with people that are, you know, have a metabolic dysfunction, um, it's not surprising that some of these studies show a correlation between LDL levels and cardiovascular disease. I mean, let's just say that's, that's what it is. I'd like to know what the other twelve percent of those people are showing is yeah. there a, is there a correlation between you know LDL levels and the response to like cardiovascular disease i don 't know. Um, in fact, I'd be willing to bet that higher levels of LDL are probably protective because there's a nice in, immunity response with with LDL yep. um, that they continue to leave out, which is you know unfortunate and if you overlay those graphs of uh, like consumption of cholesterol
1: and saturated fat and red meat. It's gone way down in the last couple of decades. Yeah. Insulin resistance, heart disease, the the brain stuff Chad was talking about, those have all gone up. So those graphs are literally opposite. So how can we say that there's a, it, not even, it's not even a correlation at this point, but people are still saying it causes it. And it's like, these graphs are opposite. How is this a cause? If it was a cause, they would be the same, right? Or at least look
0: somewhat the same and they look completely opposite. It's insane. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think the last thing I just want to touch on really quick is just the chicken part because that was kind of how I started. And uh I didn't exactly know why I felt better on red meat than chicken, but I, I think I get it now, you know? And uh it has a lot to do with how your body breaks down these fats. Um, and just for an example, like uh, you know, animal fats are huge in saturated fats. Saturated fats we've been told are bad, but they're not bad. And I'll tell you that in a second. But um everybody's like, Oh, you need monounsaturated fats, you polyunsaturated fats, which is um Which is definitely prevalent in chicken, for sure. And I think the big question we should all be asking ourselves is, you know, is chicken bad? Maybe not terribly, but you need to understand that chickens can be worse all depending on what they're being fed. So whatever your food is eating can translate into what that food does to your body. So um, for example, uh, chicken is really mainly fed corn, which is a grain. All right. This is kind of that against the grain thing that we were talking about before. Um, And this is, this is pretty common. I mean, to feed chickens, corn and soy is like pretty common. Um, And what that does is it actually increases what we call that omega-6 linoleic acid into the chicken, which then gets translated into your body, um, which then throws off your, I know you were gonna talk about this, but it throws off your omega-6 and three ratio for sure. Um, which actually increases your risk for insulin resistance. Shocking. And it all has to do with the fat cells. Shocker. It all has to do with the fat cells. So let me also tell you this, that saturated fat does not make you fat. Actually, it's the opposite. And it's the opposite because that linoleic acid that you're taking in will actually cause your fat cells to grow. Is that correct, Nick? It right? causes them to swell. Yeah. It causes them to swell. But the saturated fat does not do that. Yeah. So when, when your fat cells swell like that, your prevalence for your insulin resistance is, is like insanely higher. Um, so you think that you're being healthy by eating chicken, but you're actually probably hurting yourself even more. Um, so it's and-
1: a survival mechanism that our fat cells swell up with the linoleic acid. Cause when, when food was, was abundant, you know, when we had, we were doing well hunting and things like that. Um, we were consuming more stearic acid, more of those omega-3s, more of the saturated fat and, that's what our body preferred. But then in, in times of food scarcity, we had to turn to more linoleic acid sources. So we can tolerate a certain amount of linoleic acid, but not too, too much because then we swell up. That swelling up is that, that protective survival mode um, for our body. And like Chad was saying, the, the ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s, um, from an evolutionary perspective, it was usually somewhere around one to one. And right now, our modern, especially American diet, is somewhere around like twenty-seven to one. Damn, it that's high. crazy. I, didn't crazy. Think it was yeah. that I think high? the most most recent data I saw was like twenty-six or twenty-seven to one of omega 6 to omega threes. So we've blown that out of proportion, right? And the reality of it is, is that you again, you will be told that monounsaturated, polyunsaturated fats are the better fats, but the, those are just more unstable in in the, the human body. And what I mean by that is unstable, it, it breaks down into toxic stuff. And when you have toxic stuff in your body, your body has to respond accordingly. We've all drank alcohol, right? You all had, we've all probably had a little too much at one point. You feel the effects of that. That's your body breaking down the toxins, trying to flush the toxins out. Same thing on a smaller scale is happening with you know excess uh, linoleic acid omega 6 is these polyunsaturated monounsaturated fats saturated fats on the other hand like you get from from you know red meat butter eggs those are much more stable in the body your body knows exactly how to break those down absorb them all that kind of stuff it gets all the nutrients it needs from those so they get a bad rap people think it's going to clog your arteries immediately people are like oh my gosh bacon bacon cheeseburger i'm going to clog my arteries it's like no and also one other point on Chad was saying that you are what your food eats. Um, same thing with the cow, right? If we we're eating beef, if the cow was fed, you know, grains, cows don't normally eat grains. They normally eat grass. So you want grass fed, grass finished beef.
0: And we could go on a whole other rant about that. Don't they um, have a, don't, doesn't beef have an enzyme that it, it, it doesn't create the same, um, like omega-6 linoleic acid, like chicken does, right? Yeah. Breaks it down a little differently. Yeah. And they have, like, but it's still not great. They have a totally different digestive system, too. So cows can literally
1: take all of these cool nutrients from grass and make them absorbable to us, versus we all know that, it, or uh, most people know that humans can't digest grass. Like it just goes through you, right? And there's other things you can't digest. How many people have, you know, taking the poop after eating corn and there's still corn kernels in the, in the poop i mean we we can't digest some of that so too wild. but it, you won't see chunks of ground beef in, in that's in the true it after it's a great point. you know so you're you're digesting and absorbing that totally fine but some of this other stuff that we're we're being you know fed in bulk um and that's that's also the source for another podcast why why are, why is corn soy and wheat being pushed down our throat so much there's financial incentive there. I would argue that's one reason, but it's just not, you know, the amount that it's being pushed on our throats is, is just not good for, for our bodies have not adapted to that. We've not evolved to, to consume that much. Yeah. And net, I think everybody should
0: learn how to read the labels, right? Cause if it says a hundred percent grass fed, that doesn't necessarily mean it's grass finished. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, even if it does say that, and for all of you that don't understand what that means, um, again, it's, it's another way to make more money for these farmers, right? Because if they, if they, um, if they feed these cows grain, it's usually like the last six months of their life. Yeah, it's from cheaper. what I understand. Yeah. Um, they put on a ton of, a ton more weight, um, because they can't, they can't digest it. They can't utilize it. So it actually yeah. kills them slowly. And, it, right? and they get sick. So yeah. now you're consuming meat of a sick animal. That's right. They're putting you know, out so all these hormones right. in the yeah. meat. It's yeah. yeah. So just do your research on that. You want it to be like a hundred percent grass fed, grass finished, yeah, or pasture um, raised, or pasture raised. It
1: will usually be a good indication. If it says regenerative agriculture on the on the label, then it's it's usually good to go. But that's much harder to find at a grocery store. You may have to get that at, at a you know farm stand or one of those meat delivery options.
0: Yeah. So all right, well, I'll finish yeah. it with this. I was uh, just at my doctor's like a month or so ago, and. Um, I haven't got my labs done yet. I get that done in a couple of weeks, but I know they're going to be great. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I did have my labs done last time. And for the most part, my levels were pretty darn good. And um, even though they were good, um, my doctor still wants me to put, on, put me on a Mediterranean diet. I don't understand, you know, because when he asked me how much beef I'm eating per day, because he knows I do, um, I'm at about 24 to 26 ounces of beef a day, which is probably a little bit more than I should be taking. Um, but what do they say? It's like a hundred grams of protein per pound something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, I think I'm all right. I mean, that's like a pound and a half to not, not quite right. So, um, but anyways, yeah, he keeps on telling me to go on a Mediterranean diet and we all know that, I mean, after just talking about this, that. That's going to go against everything that I just said because <laughs> yeah. that takes all my saturated fats out of my diet. That pours more polyunsaturated fats and monounsaturated fats in my diet because now, you know, for all of you guys that have done that diet know that there's a ton of vegetable oil involved, um, as well as the oils that are in these plant-based products that you're eating, right? So, um, that's just going to increase my risk for any type of, you know, coronary heart disease or cardiovascular disease, you can drink whatever, some wine or Mediterranean. Uh, yeah, down. that's
1: true. That's true. <laughs> So eat some olives and drink
0: some wine. I keep on telling them it's not going to happen, so I'm going to stick to my guns on that one. Uh,
1: We're not trying to bash the Mediterranean nope, diet either. Nope. I mean, it, there's you can definitely get some
0: some decent sources from fish of saturated fats and and good good. Uh, I just think it's everything in moderation, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like, you know, and and I I do eat fish. I love fish, but yeah. uh, I think if it's all one thing, I don't think that's yeah. that's great either. Yeah. 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 All right, let's step away from the food
1: examples because we've we've. Beat that up, yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you another example on um, some some orthopedic stuff for myself. So uh, I was a basketball player growing up. It's pretty much you know I played other sports, but didn't really play other sports. I played basketball all year round. Um, played in college. So I, I, like most basketball players, dealt with a lot of ankle sprains. Uh, had my first ankle sprain sometime in middle school, um, and then just it would be you know every so often throughout my career got to the point where I had the uh, the good old glass ankles as, as they will call them uh, but I would just roll my ankle and you know walk into class and then just carry on because the ligaments were probably so stretched out or just not even there at that point that it didn't even what well, didn't bother me I'd still get the occasional bad one that I would need you know a couple of days to recover from but I it just it was the norm right and I would wake up my feet feet and ankles were stiff they'd hurt a little bit. They'd loosen up as I got the blood flowing, got moving. But, you know, it was just, in my opinion at the time, and what doctors told me, the hand I was dealt, watched my dad sprain his, sprain his ankles a bunch. He, you know, he dealt with his own ankle issues. Um, he he played as well for a long time. He still plays to this day. But, uh, you know, I would just get my ankles taped and get shoes with a bunch of ankle support. I just thought that was the norm, you know, and then I watched my dad go go get shoes, Every couple of years, and he'd be like, Yep, no, need one with more cushion, need one with more stability. You know, look, you got to look at the shoe, make sure it doesn't twist this way, can't twist at all. You know, I just thought that was a norm. Doctors are telling me, use these orthotics, it'll help your ankles, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, after my playing career was over, when I was just kind of playing here and there, I was like, man, my feet, ankles are stiff. I can't squat. I can't do any of this stuff that I want to do. Again, just kind of blame it on genetics. It's the hand I was dealt. This is. This is what I got to deal with. And then I really started to, to dive into knowledge about the foot more and more. And that's why most of you listening know, I, um, I, I love working on the feet. I love dealing with, um, you know, all, all things related to the feet in terms of injuries, chronic pain, that kind of stuff. And we talk a lot of people to a lot of people about their footwear and their, their shoe options. But nonetheless, I, I, as I dove deeper into this, I was like, man, it doesn't have to be this way, you know? The, one of my favorite things to tell people is, hey, your foot has third. each foot has 33 joints and where there's a joint, there should be movement. And if you have 33 joints and your feet are feeling stiff and, and tight and they're not moving and you can't, you know, bend the ankles a certain way um, or even the, move the feet a certain way that means we have issues at those joints, right? So we have to get them moving again. So I began, you know, nice and easy with cross ball rolling, rolling the bottom of the foot. I found um, the foot collective on Instagram and I actually did the the foot nerd program last year. And, and I started walking on the balance beam. So you could just go to Home Depot or Lowe's and get some PVC pipe, start walking on that. So I started doing that and I would do, you know, a variety of foot stretches daily, you know, a couple minutes a day, some, some days more than others. And I also got into exposing my feet to a variety of terrain. So, you know, most people are walking on flat surfaces all day, every day, right? Hardwood, rug. Um, maybe if they go outside to get the, you know, in the summer, they get the male barefoot. They're on their cement or their blacktop. You know, so I started putting it on on grass, dirt, roots, anything I could. Rocks, walk on like river rocks type of stuff. Anything I couldn't, hurt at first, like crazy. And then over time, you start exposing it to more and more. And it's like, oh, it doesn't hurt as much. I can do this. So I, you know, what started to make these changes, you know, for a couple minutes a day kind of thing, some days more. And then I also made the switch to more barefoot shoes or more minimalist shoes. And that was a huge game changer for me. And, you know, we've talked extensively about shoes on, previous podcast, but when we say barefoot or minimalist, we mean, you know, zero drop. So there's no elevation or or decline to the shoe. It's flexible on the sole. So it's going to allow those 33 joints to move. And it's, it's, it's nice and wide in the toe box. Human foot should be widest from tip of big toe to tip of little toe. So we want to see nice width at the, the front of the shoe. Um, you know, and then ideally if you can get to a flat, you know, where you're closer to the ground, that would be great. But, you know, that's, that's where we can, can negotiate on on people's shoes sometimes but this made a huge difference over the long haul yeah it wasn't overnight at first when i wear these shoes it was sore achy at the end of the day but my feet got used to it and they got stronger as a result and it got to the point where you know i could be previously i'd be walking and step off a curve and just roll my ankle Right. There was a time a couple of years ago when I went for a run before work. I literally just rolled my ankle running on the road, flat road. No, no, no incline, decline, no unevenness. <laughs> literally just rolled my, I ankle. remember that. Right. And I, it was because of the shoe I was wearing, it created a ledge that I rolled off of. Well, that was part of it. But, um, you know, now I'll, I'll step off a curb and, you know, it'll resort to that old, that old, you know, mechanics and my foot will start to roll and my body will just catch it. And it happens. Probably not as frequently it did as it did early on, but it'll still happen. I'll be like, "Oh, cool, sweet." I would have, yep. I would have sprained that. That would have sucked. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, you yeah. notice these difference for sure over time, and the shoes is is tricky because our our modern world is is um, well. So our modern healthcare system will tell you, "Yeah, no, your feet are just broken. That's the hand you were dealt. That's ge- that's your genetics. Your mom had bunions. Your dad had bunions. So you got bunions. Um, take these orthotics." Uh, we'll just fuse this bone here. So instead of 33, you got 32. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Um, so it'll tell you all these things about your feet. Yeah. Come back next year for more orthotics. Uh, we'll make them thicker. Come back. We'll make them more rigid. Right. So they're telling you these things and just continuing to pad up um, this, this complex um, group of joints and bones and muscles and tendons and ligaments that's supposed to be mobile. It's supposed to also be, be able to create stability, right? It's supposed to do all these things. And we're just taking it away from it. And, you know, when I realized this, I was like, man, this is this is crazy that our our culture, you know, and and their culture is like you have to wear shoes for everything. And yes, I would argue that you need shoes in the modern world because we have too many man made surfaces. There's, you know, you can walk by something like a construction site, you got nails, screws, whatever, right? There's there's too many of these man made surfaces. But that doesn't mean we should lose the ability to go barefoot. Right. And you can absolutely train your body to be barefoot on a flat, hard surface. Should you do that for 24 hours a day? Eh, maybe not. You could train yourself too, but it's probably not necessary to be able to do that. But expose your bare feet to, to the natural, natural earth, expose it to the, the surfaces in your house, walk on a balance beam, do these things, continue to, tr- you know, um, train your foot the way the foot was meant to work. That's why I love rolling out on lacrosse ball because, you know, hundreds of years ago we were walking barefoot on. Roots, rocks, sand, everything, right? Dirt, hard dirt, soft dirt, wet, whatever. And the little crossball can create those, some of those surfaces and mobilize those joints and bones and get you moving in a way that your foot is accustomed to moving. So, no, you don't need, it's not a death sentence when the doctor says, oh, you need these orthotics and you're going to need them forever, right? That, that is not the reality. You can retrain your foot to function the way it's supposed to be naturally, to the way it's. Fun- Functioning and it's it's something that it just takes a little bit of consistent effort day in day out, and you can make those changes right It might not be perfect, you might not get back to that um super robust, strong evolutionary foot that we've seen in books, right You might not get there, but that's okay, just a little bit better than yesterday. That's all you need to get to, yeah, so that was a huge huge eye opener for me, not only for my feet but for this. Idea, this topic that we're talking about today, where it's we're, we're you know sometimes fed these things that might not be complete lies, but they might be actually misguiding you and misdirecting you with regard to your own health journey. So be your own primary care provider, right? Don't don't you know have have your PCP? That's probably smart to keep to keep your uh, your primary keep your care. real PCP yeah. too. But be your first <laughs> primary care provider. And you're the first line of defense. Take ownership of your health journey and stay engaged in it day in and day out. I love it.
0: Yeah. Cool. That's a wrap. Sweet. That was longer than I thought. It I know. Go. I know. But that's okay. People yeah. need to hear it. They need yeah. to hear about it. All right. So what do we got going on oh, next week? next week. Next week. Could be crazy. We got K-Dog coming yes, on. Yes, we do. If you don't know K-Dog, oh. that's Carissa. She yes. works with us. Um, she is very nervous. Very, and it's gonna be nervous. awesome. So next week's topic is gonna be on anxiety. Go figure, she's nervous about it, and she's nervous about it. So, but um, the story behind this is actually when we were first starting this podcast, uh, we were testing out the mics, and I was like, "Chris, can you just like hop on a mic just so we can see how it sounds?" And I'm like, "Damn, this girl's got a podcast voice." So I said, "Chris, if we gotta have you on this podcast at some point in time, So we say, Chris, you need to develop anxiety <laughs> so we can then have you on a <laughs> podcast to talk about <laughs> anxiety." So she developed anxiety. (laughs) So she, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So she's got anxiety. She's actually standing next to me right now, and I want to, I want to put her on just so you can hear her and see what I'm talking about. Um, But she'll, she's going to talk about how she deals with her anxiety. Um, But I think a lot of people deal with it. That you know, in all seriousness, we don't
1: want to make a joke about anxiety. We're we're having fun right now because Chris is right next to us. She, her hands are sliding down the rack because they're so sweaty. but we don't want to. We this is a very real, real podcast. It affects it affects people, um, you know, more than ever right now. So we want to bring bring some of this to light and have Carissa share her experience with with her anxiety.
0: Yeah, so I'll be on the podcast next week. There it week. is. There it is. Um, I've been dealing with anxiety as long as I can remember. Well, no, that's a lie. But probably for at least, you know, five to seven years. And it's been really hard for me to overcome. So, um, yeah, next week I'll just kind of dabble a little bit about my experiences and hopefully help some of you out there get over those troubles and over those anxiousness feelings about anything and everything. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking to you guys next week.
1: The old mic switch. Mid-podcast, mic switch. I love it.
0: Oh, man. I, I have my mic off. I had to give it to Chris. I, I'm so upset I couldn't hear that. But I'll be hearing it next week. Yeah. So you'll hear it's, it. It's going to be all good. All right. So we got to finish off with moral of the story. So moral of the story, you guys all know. It's my favorite part. So your health is important. And like Nick said, you should become your own health scientist. Um, like Nick also said earlier, uh, be curious, be open-minded, and carry out your own self-experiments. Uh, we get it. It's uncomfortable to challenge status quo. So let's get uncomfortable. Uh, If we can leave you with one final thought, it is to question everything, even if it represents generations of controversial wisdom. Thank you for joining us in the Rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at proformptma.com or on social media at proformptma. And remember, if you train inside the Rack, you better be thinking outside the Rack.